You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So this is the third week of a six-week series on relationships and particularly on marriages and how we uh, can get through them well. Well, have you ever thought, not from your perspective, but from God's perspective, how awful it is to deal with us, you, me, all of us. I mean, think about this. This is the storyline from God's perspective. God exists in perfect union and communion as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No needs. Angels perfectly obey him. He's glorified all the time. Everything's been good from eternity past. That's a long time. And then God decides, I'm going to make some universes. Or is that universe I? I don't know. But in some particular planets. And then God says, you know what? I'll make a guy and have him enjoy this planet. Well, that's our father, Abraham. I mean, Adam. (laughs) I'm getting to Abraham later. It's like, Adam, here you go. Nice place, nice weather, everything's perfect, you're perfect, uh, except it's, it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm going to make you a woman. Not just any woman. What kind of woman? Perfect woman. I'll give you a perfect woman, put you in a perfect place. Everything will be perfect. You can enjoy everything I've given you. You can do whatever you want. There's only one thing you can't do. Don't partake from this particular tree. You'll get in trouble. Just walk around it. Here comes Eve. Wedding ceremony. All's well. Boom, turn the page. And then it goes from wedding to war. They separated themselves from God. They sinned against God. They disobeyed God. They ruined creation. They made a shipwreck of their relationship. God comes down to have a conversation with Adam. And what does Adam do? He blames it on the woman. Lord, everything was great until you made her. She's ruined everything. So then imagine you're God. and You're like, okay, I made this planet. I made these people. These are the only two people I've got. And they've blown it. Well, now they've got sons. So maybe there's a little bit more hope for the sons, Cain and Abel. Well, Cain's not a good kid. Abel's a very faithful kid. It's like God would say, well, I'll work through Abel. Oh, wait, Cain whacks Abel. All of this continues for a while. I'm going to give you the the storyline of the Bible in just a few minutes. So the whole story continues. Everybody's evil and wicked all the time, generation after generation. We get to Genesis chapter 6, and it says that God grieved in his heart that he made man, that he sees our heart, and he knows that all we think is evil all the time. comes the flood story. Noah is a God-fearing man that God chooses Noah to build an ark so that he and his family will be spared. God saves them by his grace. God gives them righteousness. God has a plan for them. 
Noah and the seven other members of his family get off the ark as the waters recede, and immediately he goes to build a place to live. And then right on the heels of that, he plants an orchard so that grapes can grow. And he turns the grapes into wine so he can get drunk and pass out in his tent, naked. This is the good guy, right? No, this is the first redneck in the history of the world. I'll get drunk, naked in a tent. Oh, there's the hope for humanity right there. The story continues with a guy named Abraham. So God chooses Abraham to love and to bless. And through Abraham and his wife, he's going to give Abraham a son. And eventually through that son, down the line is going to come the Savior who's going to bless all the nations of the earth. But Abraham's like, all right, I got this. And he's tired of waiting for this promised son. And so he commits adultery. And twice, Abraham gives his wife away. Now, how many of you ladies are thinking that's at least one time too many? Now, how many of you at this point would be like, you know what, if I'm God, I would just set the earth on fire, hang out a big sign that says, told you so. You know what God does? He waits 1,800 years from this point. All of the sin and rebellion and, and death and folly and bad religion and brutal dictators and broken marriages and absolute crises. And then the father and the son know that it's time. And God the father sends God the son 1,800 years later but according to Galatians 4.4, 4, it is at the fullness of time. So the son, the Lord Jesus, gets off of his throne and he enters human history. God becomes a man to walk on this fallen, broken, brutal earth to show us how to live, to show us how to love, to show us how to forgive. And you know what we do? We hate him. We harass him. We despise him. Religious people are constantly trying to find a way to get rid of him. It even gets to the point where his own disciples abandon and betray him. He is falsely accused, falsely tried. And then you know what happens? He's going to be murdered. The sinless, perfect, loving, forgiving God who has put up with us all this time, he's going to go to the cross. The most shameful, painful way to die. And while Jesus is hanging on the cross, the creator being murdered by his created, he says, Father, what? Forgive them. How many of you would not say that? How many of you would say something that you can't say in church? Father, forgive them. Jesus is asking forgiveness for his enemies who are murdering him and have rebelling, been rebelling against him since the beginning, generation after generation. And then he says something else. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. And then in the most inexplicable event in human history, Jesus in that moment 
takes upon himself all of our sin. He substitutes himself in our place. He pays the penalty of our debt and death that we owe to the Father. He puts himself in our place and he puts us in his place. His condemnation becomes our salvation. And he literally trades places with us. And in that moment, we are forgiven. He's buried. Three days later, he rises. And what goes forth is a message of forgiveness. Jesus forgives people, and his people go out to proclaim this message of forgiveness. 2,000 years later, here we are. And the essence of our Christian faith is the forgiveness of sin through the person and work of Jesus Christ. One of the major tenets of the Apostles' Creed is that we believe in the forgiveness of sin. And so today, what I want to talk about is how to heal from past hurts. And the only way you're going to do that is when you forgive. And you know, sometimes that word forgiveness is used so casually and flippantly that we don't really pay attention to what it really means. I want to correct that today. So the first question is, what is forgiveness? In the most famous prayer in the history of the world... Jesus tells us how to pray. It's in Matthew chapter 6. You know it. It begins this way. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy. It's the number one attribute of God in the Bible, that he is holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now in Luke 11, that's Matthew 6. In Luke 11, the same prayer is recorded of Jesus. But there's a shift in words. Whereas Matthew is recorded, Jesus saying the word debt. Luke uses the word sin. In other words, according to the Bible, debt and sin are synonymous terms. Here's what happens. We sin against God, we accrue a debt. And then the question is, well, who will pay that debt? Well, either we pay by going to hell, or Jesus goes to the cross, substitutes himself in your and my place for our sins, and he dies So you see what forgiveness is? It's canceling of a debt. Let me say it this way. How many of you don't like paying your bills? I mean, I think that's something that Christians and non-Christians can agree on, right? We don't like to pay bills. We get our bills. You get a little anxiety because you realize how much debt you have. You go to the mail and you're like, okay, well, here's what I owe the credit card company, mortgage company, and here's what I owe the utility company and the student loans and my car payment. Now, let me ask you this. How would you feel if every lender that you were indebted to sent you a bill, but noted on the bottom of the bill was stamped paid in full? That some generous benefactor somewhere has decided to pay all your debt for the rest of your life. You will still get a total of your debts, but you will owe nothing because they've all been paid in full. 
you'd be blown away. Some of you would even skip. Guys as old as me would skip. (laughs) Now imagine this. Imagine that God sent you a bill every month. Okay, here's your thought bill. Oh, you know my thoughts? Yes, and I never sleep, so I see your dreams too. Oh, okay. Here's your word bill. Here's all the words that you've said. Here's your deed bill, all the bad things you've done, all the good things you were supposed to do, but you didn't do. Here's your financial debt. The way you're supposed to spend your money, you chose it this way. You were supposed to use it this way. So imagine every month God sent you the debt. Each month it got bigger. And Jesus paid your debt in full. The stuff you did in the past, the stuff that you're doing right now, in the future, the stuff you haven't even gotten to yet because you're so busy with the current sin that you haven't gotten to the sin of the future yet. So your past, your present, your future, all forgiven, paid in full, nothing that you can do to lose your salvation, nothing you can do to lose God's love. That's your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you will owe God and you literally have hell to pay. If you belong to Jesus, your debt was paid from his death on your behalf. How many of you would say, well, that's good news. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You're forgiven. Jesus has paid your sin. You don't owe God. So here's my next question. Let's make this a little bit more personal. Who has sinned against you? We just established that we've all sinned against God. Who has sinned against you? This is where the message gets a little more personal, a little more practical, maybe even a little more emotional. Who has failed you, disappointed you, hurt you, wounded you, scarred you, altered your life course, affected your well-being? Who has betrayed you, taken advantage of you, lied to you, used you, abused you? We're not talking about minor things. We're talking about major things. Who has sinned against you? Again, we're not talking about minor offenses. For that, we've got 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sin. So there are minor offenses. I mean, how many of you are in a relationship with someone and you realize there's just some stuff I, I, can, I can let go of? I need to let go of that because it's not a big deal. I, I need to let go of it because you're not perfect, I'm not perfect. And if we have this relationship where we're both wearing like striped shirts and blowing whistles at each other, that's not a relationship that's going to last. Some of you have married that person. Maybe you brought them here. Welcome. But we're not talking to minor offenses. We're not talking about faults and, and quirks. I mean, how many of you, maybe you shouldn't raise a hand, how many of you married somebody who's odd? <laughs> Chances are they did too. We're not talking minor offenses. We're talking about things that God had to die for. Especially when there's someone 
that you love and you've opened your life to. Spouse, family, friend, neighbor, coworker, spiritual leader, parent, grandparent, someone who is supposed to be trustworthy and safe and, and they hurt or betrayed or disappointed you. And then there's this bitterness and unforgiveness and, and it, it's because you had higher expectation for the relationship. So after hearing that, who has God brought to mind? Was it a name, a face? Is it someone from the past, someone in the present? So then the question is, why should we forgive them? Because immediately when I say that they've sinned against you and you need to forgive them, a little attorney arises up within you and you're thinking of all the things they've said and done and guilty, guilty, guilty. Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, see, God has chosen you. God has chosen to love you. As God's chosen people, holy, Jesus makes you holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's why we forgive people. Because we are forgiven people. Forgiving people have to be forgiving people. What he doesn't say is, forgive them because it's no big deal. Forgive them because it's okay. Forgive them because nobody's perfect. What he says is, forgive them because you've been forgiven. In case you're wondering, that doesn't make light of the offense. Because the offense was so great that God had to die for it. And some people think, okay, well, God, forgive me, but I can't forgive them. And if what you're saying is, God, I deserve to be forgiven, but they don't, then what you're saying is, I will now take God's position and declare that I deserve more from them than God is willing to give me. Here's what you need to know. Forgiveness is a gift that God has given you to share it's a gift for you to share with someone else and forgiven people have to be need to be must be forgiving people and when we forgive someone it's not because they deserve it it's because he deserves it do you get that we forgive because we've been forgiven and let me say this in forgiving them, <clears throat> that's not trust. Forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is not also reconciliation. You forgive someone doesn't necessarily mean you jump right back in to where you left off in the relationship. And also, forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. Some of you are justice people, and you're thinking, but I'm, I'm not going to let them go free. Look, when you give someone, you're not letting them go free. Instead, what you're saying is, I'm going to give this over to the Lord Jesus. Lord, you deal with them. You deal with me. I'm going to take this out of my hands. I'm going to put it in your hands. And I'll let you be the judge, and I'll let you handle this person and this situation. And so when you forgive someone, you're not letting them get away 
with everything, you're allowing yourself to get away from everything and you're leaving it in the hands of the Lord Jesus. A couple more reasons why we should forgive. The Bible is not just true news, it is good news. And the good news is that when we forgive, it glorifies God. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is quoted in the Bible more times than any other verse in the Bible. Here's what God says. Here's how God introduces himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Here's what God is saying. I love to forgive. I love to endure. I love to persevere. And if you'll turn to me, I'll forgive you. And if you don't, you've chosen a path of justice, not grace. In addition, another reason we forgive is that it's a witness to others. When we are hurting, when we're emotional, when we're frustrated and angry and can't take it anymore, we forget that non-Christians are watching. And this world loves nothing better than for Christians to attack other Christians. Because if we just say, hey, we are a forgiven family of, of loving people who beat each other. Would you like to join our family? You're like, no, you're a hypocrite family. I don't see love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. I see flame throwing and internet trolling and commenting. Never forget that your test is your testimony. And that non-Christians, including your family and friends who know you, they are watching. And did you know that there's a physical element to this as well? Research has shown that those who practice forgiveness, their blood pressure goes down. Their heart trouble goes down. Ulcers go down. Their inability to sleep goes down. And the duration and quality of life go up. That literally some of you, bitterness, hurt, unforgiveness, nursing a grudge, it's killing you. It's robbing you of sleep. It's robbing you of health. Some people are so obsessed by all the people who have hurt them that they are just tracking them, stalking them on social media to try to find out what their life is all about. And you're obsessing over them. And if that's you, you're not getting resolution. Forgiveness is the way toward resolution. And then relationally as well. When we hurt, we think wrongly. Well, this is only going to hurt the relationship I have with that other person. No, it actually hurts all of your relationships. Because by virtue of it affecting us, it affects the way that we respond to everyone. So bitterness, unforgiveness, a hurt, a record of wrongs, it causes you to become someone who is hurt. And as a result of being hurt, you want to control your relationships. You're like, I... I'm going to control you because I know what I want and what I don't want. And by controlling you, I'm going to get out of you what I want and not get from you what I don't want. So let's talk about the solutions. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Forgetting the past, I press on toward God's will in my life. You know, it's fine to say, I forgive you, I love you, I see these things in your life. I really wish you would change because I want good for you. But until you do change, your life is not going to go well. I love you very much. I'm here to support you. I need to move on with my life now, and I would love for you to do the same, but that's your decision, not mine. And lastly, I want you to see this. When the Bible speaks of forgiveness, it oftentimes mentions the Holy Spirit. Because to forgive someone, that's a supernatural, miraculous occurrence of the power of God. Let me give you another scripture. Ephesians 4 starts this way at verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Uh, is it a sin to be angry? No, Jesus got angry. Anger is a powerful emotion. You just need to put your will over those emotions so that that anger will drive you to forgiveness and Jesus, not to bitterness and a demonic. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Today's anger, you'll get through it, maybe. If it's yesterday's anger, that's a real problem. It means you're dragging hurt and anger with you day after day. And it becomes a place where your anger and hurt just gathers and it increases and it becomes collective. And so it's person after person and it's thing after thing. And now you've got a real problem. Apostle Paul goes on and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, Satan and demons are just waiting for you to be hurting because then you're weak and vulnerable. Satan and demons are waiting for you to be in a place where you are exhausted and weak and empty and hurting. And the foothold becomes a stronghold, which becomes a stranglehold, which can become a death hold. Paul continues. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit wants you to do the supernatural, to love, to forgive, to bless. Satan and demons want you to do the natural, which is to curse and attack and hate. Some of you will undoubtedly say, I can't do what God is asking me to do. And I'm sorry for what you're going through. I really am. But I need you to know that hanging on to that hurt isn't hurting that other person. It's hurting you. And God loves you and we love you. And we want you to be delivered from bondage and get healed from that hurt. And the Holy Spirit does that. Paul continues, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
We are forgiven people. So we are to be forgiving people. We have received the Holy Spirit. We now have the supernatural ability to forgive. One final scripture passage. It's not going to be on the screen. Let me just share this with you. It's from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus shares this story. I'm going to give you the little background context. So Peter approaches Jesus and says, well, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times? I mean, it seems like a lot. You remember how Jesus responds? Seventy times seven. I don't know if you're good at math. That's a lot. That doesn't mean, Jesus is not saying, okay, just count them. You get to 409, okay, you're done with having to forgive that person. What he means is just keep going. And right on the heels of that, Jesus tells this story. The story is this. There's a really rich guy. And someone owes this really rich guy because he made a bad business decision, owes him millions of dollars. And the time has come for payment on that debt. And this guy can't pay that debt. He doesn't have that kind of money. And what he's looking at is this prospect of this rich man seizing all of his possessions, enslaving him, and even taking taking legal ownership of his wife and kids. You see, our sin affects our whole family. What happens is that this guy then goes to this very rich man and throws himself on his mercy, and, and, and the rich man says, well, I'll just forgive your entire debt. Millions of dollars. He didn't have to do that. That was pure grace. But then the story continues as Jesus tells it. This same man then goes out to somebody who owes him money. Not nearly as much. Thousands. And rather than forgiving him, he literally grabs him by the neck and yells at him, pay me every dollar. People see this and they can't believe that the forgiven man won't forgive. The story shows us that when God forgives us, it's like the millions. And when we forgive somebody else, it's really like the thousands. The story concludes, Jesus says, but then the rich man comes, finds this man that he has forgiven, and he says, because you've been forgiven and you're not forgiving, you're going to go to jail. And that jailer is going to torment you. In the Bible, where does torment come from? Satan. Some of you are tormented. Some of you are haunted. And you don't know how to get out of that tormenting, haunting place that you live emotionally and spiritually. So here's my question. You're in this prison, a prison of your emotional and spiritual unforgiveness, being tormented by the demonic. You're oppressed, haunted, condemned, shamed, traumatized. Who has the key to get you out? Does the person who did the offense to you have that key? You know, if they would just apologize, if they would just see what they did, if they would just feel the of their sin against me if they would just change they could let me out 
Do they hold that key? No. You know who has the key? You do. I forgive them. And I get to walk away from my trauma, my torment, my anguish. You see, forgiveness is the key. There's no reason that we should spend the rest of our lives in torment, being haunted and harassed and discouraged and oppressed. Give it to the Lord. Whatever you're going through, give to the Lord. And above all, because of our topic today, you need to forgive. As Jesus says from the heart, forgive in Jesus Christ. Not only will it reward you and bless you, but your family as well. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.